Some call this a creative minority. Others say it is a redemptive subversion. We say we are church in the wild. So today's scripture reading is going to be from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 25. And the version I'm reading is ESV, and it'll be on the slides as well. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, this message from the Apostle Peter to your people in Rome who are suffering. Lord, I, I ask that as I preach your words, I, I seek to minister your word here to people, Lord, that you'll speak through me and use me in a way that will be helpful to them, that will instruct them, and that will correct them in places, Lord, and, and encourage them in times of difficulty or discouragement in their lives, Lord. Help us to learn what grace is this morning and understanding it better. Let it sink into our hearts and let it flow out of us into the people we come into contact with through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We talk a lot about grace in the church, don't we? I mean, grace is a theme in all of our Christian talk. It's the title of books. It's a title of sermon series. We sing, your grace is enough in English and French and in Spanish. We talk about grace all the time. But what really is grace? Sometimes I think that we talk about grace so much that we actually forget what grace is. Maybe some of us don't even know really what God's grace is. Well, the Apostle Peter is writing this letter to a church in the wild, uh, the church in Rome, which at the time Peter was writing to them was suffering a great deal. This was not the 12 following Jesus safely who always had the right thing to say, who, who would protect them, who would provide for them, multiply the loaves and fishes. They're in Rome. It's a worldly, pagan, powerful city. And the believers who were there were undergoing various trials and suffering at the time Peter was writing to them. 
we also are prone in our Christian walk to discouragement, feeling let down, feeling disappointed, feeling worried and anxious, feeling lonely. We have all kinds of trouble in our lives. And if we forget about the grace of God, or if we don't really understand in the first place what God's grace is, then we are likely to turn our hearts away from that grace and fasten our hearts onto something else that we think will make us feel better or help us, which in the end actually leads to death. And so Peter wants us to understand that if we know how truly valuable the grace of God is, how costly the grace of God was for us to receive, then we will never want to leave it. We will always want that grace to be in the forefront of our minds and to live in a way that shows the holiness of God as his people in the world. And so this morning, I'm going to be unpacking this passage using this acronym G-R-A-C-E, and it's not my invention. I learned it from a seminary professor who himself was borrowing it from a 19th century preacher. But we're going to be talking about what is grace using the letters in the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. And uh, I'll just start off. I'll give you, I'll I'll let you in on a secret right now. The first two, G-R, stands for God's riches. God's riches. Maybe some of you have heard of this acronym before. If you haven't, it's a good one. You'll remember it. GR is God's riches. Peter says here in verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind fully on the grace that will be brought to you. That's God's riches. Everybody in this room has had money struggles, I dare say, at one time or another. Maybe some of you are having money struggles right now. Money is something that seems like the paycheck runs out before the month does, right? And you're left scrounging and struggling, trying to make ends meet. We've all had money struggles. For me, my struggle has always been related to my car. I've always driven old, beat-up cars. Maybe one day I'll have a new car. I can only imagine. But it seems like when I was in my 20s, I remember every time I had an extra 100 bucks in my wallet or my checking account, my car would break. Just in time to get the money, the car would break. I'd back out of the driveway and there would be a pool of glow-in-the-dark green <laughs> liquid there. And I know that's not natural. I get a pay raise, parts start falling off my car while I'm driving. It's bad. <laughs> Other people feel uh, they look forward to getting a tax refund, but I know that disaster is coming with my car. <laughs> I dread getting a tax refund. But when you face money struggles, wouldn't it be nice to, if you knew that you were coming into an inheritance? Not, from, not because someone you know dearly and love has passed away, of course, but, you know, some distant third cousin that you've never heard of who lives in another country. You know, one of those spam emails you get that says you've, you've inherited $100 million. What if that were true? Wouldn't that be terrific? There are times that we like. We would love to have that. Now, I wasn't born into money. I don't stand to receive any special inheritance or anything like that. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, and this is maybe not a good thing to say the Sunday after Father's Day. But your earthly human fathers, ultimately, can only bequeath to you death. That's what Peter's saying here. Your earthly human fathers, maybe they leave you some money, but Peter describes that as gold or silver that perishes. Leah read that we have been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our fathers. Verse 19. Their ways are futile. 
Not because they didn't have a successful career and provide for you and gave you an education. Their ways are futile because in spite of all the working out they did and the upkeep of the family car and the vacations they took you on or whatever, it doesn't last. And we know that. We know that we're trying to make ourselves comfortable in the here and now. We know that we're trying to get by from one day or one week to the next, but we know that it doesn't last. And why is that? Because verse 23, we are born of perishable seed. Perishable seed. Now you guys know what perishable stuff is, right? Like Kervin said, it's summer and it's hot. And that means if you go to Publix and you got some milk or some ice cream, you better get home right quick to put that in the freezer or the fridge because it's perishable. It can spoil. It can melt. The heat will ruin it. And I got news for you. Even if you put it in the fridge, it's still going to stink if you don't eat it. <laughs> we have that problem all the time. You open up the fridge, it's like, oof, something smells in here. You start opening up all the drawers. What did you forget about? Things are perishable. We are born of perishable seed, Peter says. Our life source is perishable. And that's because, of course, of sin. Things need refrigeration or they spoil. They eventually go bad anyway. And we may be fit. Gosh, I wish I were. We may be healthy. We may be free of disease. We may have money. But we are perishable. We can only stay in the fridge so long and we go bad regardless of what you do. Our earthly human fathers only have the power to bequeath to us, in the end, death. But that's where the GR comes in. God's riches, the riches and the poverty, the poverty of our earthly parents doesn't matter if we come into the riches that we can receive from our heavenly father. Amen. Amen. Verses three and four, Peter says that he, that God has caused us to be born again to an inheritance. And we, again, we talk about being born again all the time in the church. We talk about grace, we talk about being born again. What does it mean to be born again? Well, it means in the first place that you have new life because this perishable life that shall die will not be the last word for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will, if you have been born again spiritually now, you will be born again physically in the resurrection. And so there is new life that begins now. It begins on the inside and then it propagates out to the physical body and the new creation. Just like the spirit is dead within and then ultimately the body dies, the spirit is life now and the body will come back to life too. You are born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, Peter says. New life, new physical life, new spiritual life. And not only new life, but just as in your first birth you were born into a particular family, if you're born again, you are reborn into God's blended family. You are reborn into a new family with a new father and new brothers and sisters and a new inheritance. Peter says in verse 17, if you call on him as father who raised Jesus from the dead, do you realize that the almighty God who made heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible is your father? Do you realize that you can come to him freely and openly in prayer and ask him for what's on your heart and what's on your mind? Lay your anxieties before him because he cares for you. Like a father, he will receive you, not as a harsh, stern judge when you've been brought up on charges. If you belong to Christ Jesus, he receives you as the father who loves his children running into his arms and laying their hearts open before him. You've been born again into new life,
in a new family, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed. And therefore, you stand to inherit all the riches that belong to your heavenly Father, God. And what are those riches? Well, let's just talk about them real briefly to make it a little bit more concrete. Talked about unnatural fluids leaking out of my car. Things break down. The body breaks down. Did you know that's not the way things are supposed to be? Did you know that's alien? That wasn't part of God's design plan? Did you know that that's not the way things are going to be in the future? That in the new creation, you will have a new physical body like Jesus Christ does now that will be free of imperfection. You won't have age spots or wrinkles. You won't feel unwell if you wake up. No colds, nothing like that. You'll be perfect in every way on the outside and on the inside. The loneliness you experience will be gone. You'll have perfect fellowship and intimacy and openness with people who love you from the heart, always. You'll have no worry about lack of poverty. There will be absolutely nothing like that. The world will be made like Eden, except even better. Because you know what the problem was with Eden? I mean, think about Eden. The Bible describes it as a place that's so rich and abundant that there's gold on the surface of the land. you remember that? There was a problem with Eden, though. If you didn't dot your I's, cross your T's, but really, you didn't even have to do that much. You just had to not eat from the one tree, but you get ejected from it. In the new creation, we will be made perfect in holiness, and there will be no possibility of being removed from God's presence or from that blessedness forever and ever. It's eternal life, this new birth. So GR is God's riches, God's riches. And riches is not, uh, I'm not importing something here to this text. I mean, Peter is talking about riches all over the place. He's the one who says in verses 3 and 4 at the start of this chapter that you've been born again to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's Peter who says in verse 7, that the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. It's Peter who, in verse 19, says that, that you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Why is Peter here talking to these Christians in Rome so much about money and material things? Why is Peter talking about filthy lucre, the root of all kinds of evil? Well, the answer again is because of the church in the wild. Here is this church in Rome where people, Christians were coming into the faith, people were coming into the faith from positions of power and influence, and being followers of Christ now, they're losing a lot of that. They stood to lose their opportunities, their business opportunities, their social and political opportunities. They were losing relationships, reputation, their money, perhaps they were losing family relationships. Christ has never been a, a figure who unites right now. He's a person who divides. And that was happening in the church in Rome as well. The church was in the wild. And so faced with this loss and discouragement, Peter wants to remind them that, yes, you may have lost perishable gold and silver. Your business may be ruined. That franchise you had from the Roman government is worthless now. Who cares? Ultimately, it's nothing. It's nothing. You might have enjoyed it for a little while, but it's gone. Don't set your heart on it. He wants to remind them of that and then remind them that there's so much more. There's God's riches, but those riches didn't come cheap. And they didn't come free. Those riches came A-C-E, at Christ's expense. 
That's what grace is, brothers and sisters. It's God's riches for you at the expense of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice how in verse 18, he says that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. God had to pay a price to have you. God had to pay a price to bring you into this family. Now, to go through an adoption is an expensive and, and, and time-consuming process. How much more expensive and difficult was the process of our being adopted into God's family? A price had to be paid. We had to be ransomed. This is not talking about some theory that God had to pay a ransom to the devil or something like that. You know, some Christians believe that in the Middle Ages. There's nothing like that in the Bible. That's not what he means by a ransom. What he's saying is God had to give something up. If you've ever had to pawn something, maybe it's something that you care about and you want to get back, you've got to go to that pawnbroker and you've got to pay more than you got in the first place. That's a hard money loan. You've got to pay up to get back what you care about. And God had to pay up in order to get this people that he loves back from death. And what was the price that God paid? Well, we see it here in verse 19. With, he redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, this is language that goes back to the Old Testament because we know that you were required to give God your best. You had to give God the firstborn. You had to give God an animal that didn't have, you couldn't give him your junk. You couldn't give God your secondhand goods, the stuff you didn't want, wouldn't be good enough for your, your family. You couldn't even sell it. Well, I'll donate that to God. I'll sacrifice that. No, you had to actually be sacrificing something. You had to be giving something up that hurt a little bit something you would like to keep for yourself. That's what, part of what we do when we give our tithes and offerings. It hurts a little bit when you give that money in the play. You're like, I could do some stuff with that. You know what? But God is going to do some stuff with that that's worth so much more than what I might do with it. We were redeemed with the precious blood. So even though that is Old Testament language, there's also something, I think, paternal here. If you've ever seen a child just born, a newborn child, you know that they come out of the womb looking a little bit weird. <laughs> it's all right, Kermit. They do. They look a little bit weird. They're all kinds of weird colors. Their face is all squished. They got goo on them. You know, they don't look like, you know, maybe they have some birthmarks. They look a little bit odd. But to the eye of that mother or that father, they are a precious lamb without spot or blemish. And isn't that what God says? Was it at the baptism of Jesus or maybe at the transfiguration? Maybe both. I don't remember. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father loves the son. You read about Abraham sacrificing Isaac and the anguish of his heart. And how much greater was the anguish of God the father's heart in sending his son to die for a wayward and unlovable people like us. And yet that's exactly what he did. We were redeemed with the precious blood of the Son of God himself. And what's more, verse 20 says that this happened. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to import something from Acts 2 here. He's speaking to the people on the day of Pentecost. And he says, as he's describing the crucifixion and the resurrection, he says, brothers, this happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then here also, the same author, Peter, in verse 20 says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. 
This has been a plan that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have had since eternity past. It was foreknown that we would live and that what we would be like, your personal identity, your name, how you look, what you like and what you dislike, your pet peeves, your career, every detail about you was known by God from eternity past. And God set his love and affection on you then. And he knew that you would fall into sin. And so the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together said, we love these people. We got to have them. And what do we need to do to get them? And they conceived this, this plan by which a people who are corrupted by sin and powerless to save themselves would be rescued and brought into the family of God. You could only be rescued from the inheritance of death, which gold and silver could never save you from by the death of Christ. And so verse 21, you through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Have you received God's grace? Or do you only talk about God's grace? Do you only sing about God's grace? Has God's grace filled your heart? Do you recognize the plight you were in apart from Christ? Maybe the plight that you're still in? Do you realize that all your own best efforts are worthless when you stand before God? Do you realize that he doesn't care about your money or your good looks or the fact that you were here this morning or the fact that you put money in the offering plate? It does not merit you anything with him. Do you realize that apart from the blood of Christ Jesus shed for you, you stand to perish when you stand before God? Every one of us needs God's grace. We need to receive from him something that we have forfeited and could never pay for in any case. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's received strictly by faith, by believing that Christ is who he said he was and who his followers said that he was, believing that he is the Son of God and that he died for the purpose of, of, of suffering for the sins of his people. And that he was raised again from the dead on the third day. And that he did ascend into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And to claim this whole world as his kingdom and realm. Faith is how you receive that redemption. But then that's not all, of course. That's how you receive that redemption to come into his family. But then after that, he's your king. And you must live for him as your king. You must give your whole life to him. He gave his entire life for you. You give your entire life to him. But of course, whoever loses his life for Christ's sake and the gospels will gain it. You will gain your life by giving yourself to him. And that's really what Peter is getting at here to these Christians who are faced with persecution and suffering in Rome, who are losing so much, who may have even stood in jeopardy of losing their lives. Remember, some of you may have heard of Nero, the uh, Roman emperor who claimed to be king and set a fire in Rome that burned down practically the whole city. He blamed the Christians, many of whom died for it. And then later on in the first century, Christians were being fed to the lions for the entertainment of the pagan Romans. You know, you thought that Celebrity Apprentice was bad. Imagine going out to the forum and you've got Christians in there being facing the lions for the, the entertainment of the Romans. 
Christians were suffering. They were facing the loss of their lives for Christ Jesus. And faced with that prospect, Peter tells them, don't forget what you stand to gain, God's riches, and the cost that, it, that God incurred in bringing you into it. And so Peter's message here is, while you're waiting to come into this inheritance, while you're waiting, be holy. Love one another earnestly. That's the practical import of this message here, is that Peter wants the Christians to remember all of these things and let it affect their lives. He says in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not here now, but set your mind on it. Set your heart on it. Don't worry about what's taking place around here. I remember there was a time when I was about 15, just old enough that my parents would let me go out with friends, you know, at nighttime on like a Friday night. I lived in Los Angeles, and I remember uh, this one particular Friday night, some, some, a, a counselor from my church youth group was coming over. He was going to pick me up and a couple other guys, and we were going to go out to a restaurant at Duke's in Malibu. So it's on the beach, and then we were going uh, we to be out there on the beach having fun at night. It was going to be great. I was so excited about it. 15, right? Now, it's a Friday night, so I'm dressed up. I'm ready to go. I'm looking out the window watching for them to come. And meanwhile, my parents and my younger brother, they're preparing for their regular Friday night stuff at home. So they were going to do something fun. They were going to order a pizza, and they had rented a movie from Blockbuster. And so they were going to watch a movie and eat a pizza. And it's like, that would have been a lot of fun under normal circumstances. But I was set on, I'm going out with my friends. We're going to Malibu, to Dukes. This is going to be great. I was looking forward to this for uh, all week. So whatever was happening around me at home, I didn't really care. I mean, I was happy for them, but that's not where my heart was. Just like that is what Peter wants your heart to be like. There are things happening around us in the world, good things. You got a good job, praise God. You started a new relationship with someone, well, that is wonderful. You know, you're, you got a clean bill of health from the doctor, no cavities, hallelujah. But look, whatever good is taking place around you, praise God. But set your hope fully on those riches of God's grace to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, let's gather together in worship. Let's love each other earnestly, knowing that I may be having a great week, but Linda might be having a terrible week. You know, I might be feeling great, but Virginia might be feeling horrible today. Who knows? One cries, another rejoices. Let us weep together. Let us rejoice together and show our love as a family. Love one another earnestly. Let's also maintain our holiness, Peter says. In other words, if you're waiting for these riches of Christ and you're suffering in the flesh in the meantime, it might be easy to slip back. Maintain your holiness because he who called you is holy. Grace, brothers and sisters, is not a license to sin. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card where I got this in my back pocket so I can do whatever I want, and then I just turn this in, and I get a fresh start. That's not grace. Grace isn't license. Grace is getting what we desperately need but do not in any way deserve that came at great cost to someone else. And so Peter says, now that you know what grace is, now that you know what you stand to receive. Now that you know the cost that God paid to get it, you're no longer ignorant. And that's why he says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
Your eyes are opened. You know the truth. Live according to the truth. Let it change your life. Let it change your relationship. Perishable seed perishes. Gold and silver perish. But God's riches at Christ's expense does not. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, let us apprehend more clearly and more fully, and may it transform our hearts with joy and holiness to understand what we have to look forward to and to understand all that you spent in order to give it to us. May this really shape us and, uh, and result in a community of people that cut across all different human barriers, Lord, that is, full of, that is characterized by love and joy and kindness, Lord, and will be a testimony to the watching world, which so much longs for intimacy and community, Lord, and for joy and hope, for a sense of rootedness and groundedness in a world that, uh, that increasingly lacks those things. May our relationships with one another and our life as a church be a testimony to them. In Jesus' name. That, that was good news. I mean, you, I mean, God's richness at Christ's expense. It's news that some, somehow it, it's elusive to my mind and my heart. But as Brother Philip said today, this is the only hope. This is the only pursuit. This is what we all look forward to. And in your prayer circles and during this time, get together and pray that God would use this message to stir your affections for him and would use you as an instrument for his glory to redeem a lost and a broken world.